I should not be considered, period, end of story. Oh, that story will continue. I'm pretty certain. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK People Powered Radio, 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the world, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and blanketing the globe five days a week on Radio Sputnik. You can run, but you can't hide from the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another action-packed, thrilling adventure. Coming up, something happened last week that could end up changing the world in a way that folks might go back 10 or 20 years from now to make a movie uh, you know, and show what happened. Show this moment in time as, as a point when it all began. Am I, Desi Doyen, without, over, uh, without, without g- giving it all away, am I over, uh, am I over exaggerating it there? I as don't opposed to under-exaggerating so. it <laughs> Under-exaggerating, oh, yeah. that's a word. Yeah. Um, no, actually, I don't think all right. so. Well, that's mysterious enough. There's your there teaser. You we will talk about that. And whether I'm right about it uh, changing the whole wide world with my guest, Steve Levine, in just a few short minutes. In the meantime, speaking of changing the world, U.S. House Speaker... Paul Ryan really, really, really doesn't want to do it. He does not want to change the world, at least not via the U.S. presidency, at least not this year anyway. At least that's what he's been saying for a while now since speculation began that he might be drafted as the consensus nominee for the Republican uh, nomination for president of the United States at the GOP National Convention in Cleveland in July, which he will be chairing, by the way. Uh, as the party continues to try to find someone who is not insane to be their nominee, uh, given the insane dysfunctional state of that particular contest. But Paul Ryan is really, really, really not running for president, says Paul Ryan. Uh, Really and totally, uh, of course, just like he wasn't interested in becoming the uh, Speaker of the U.S. House a few short months ago, but in hopes, in hopes of tamping down those expectations that he would run, fueled in no part by Ryan himself uh, and a video that he released last week that sure made it look like he was running for president. We ran it here on the on the broadcast. 
in hopes of tamping that down, Ryan held a press conference this afternoon in D.C. specifically to offer what corporate media described as a Sherman-esque rejection of the notion that he was running for president. Really, he's, he's really not running. I want to put this to rest once and for all. As you know, I have stayed out of this race and I have remained neutral. We have too much work to do in the House to allow this speculation to swirl or to have my motivations questioned. So let me be clear. I do not want, nor will I accept the nomination for our party. So let me speak directly to the delegates on this. If no candidate has a majority on the first ballot, I believe that you should only choose from a person who has actually participated in the primary. Count me out. I simply believe that if you want to be the nominee for our party, to be the president, you should actually run for it. I chose not to do this. Therefore, I should not be considered, period, end of story. I just think it would be wrong to go any other way. So let me say again, I am not going to be our party's nominee. Well, that's it. He's running. I think that's pretty clear. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. He's, he's Yes. So you are open to it. Well, what if they drafted you? Uh, and, of course, that's what uh, the corporate media has been saying now. They'll be saying this for days. They'll be saying this for weeks. They'll be saying this all the way through July. I they'll suspect. be saying until somebody else, presumably, is chosen uh, as the nominee. I was going to say, they will be saying this. Until he accepts the nomination for president <laughs> this July at the convention. So that was Paul Ryan uh, today. Uh, he went on to say that though he will not run for president, he intends to be a participant in the political process as Speaker of the House. And that his participation in that conversation, his speeches and uh, I, I suppose videos like the one that he released uh, last week. That was day. not a campaign video. That was video. totally not a campaign video, but sure sounded like it. Uh, videos like that, uh, that is just him taking part in the conversation. It should not be confused with running for president. Uh, that, of course, uh, while he uh, w was promised to also continue using that platform to make the case for what he describes as conservatism in this country, uh, but that is not the same as running for president. He even went to uh, went on to add uh, in response to a couple of questions from reporters that he, as chair of the GOP National Convention in Cleveland in July, would uh, he would be even in favor of a new rule that required uh, only those who have actually run for the office to be allowed for consideration on the ballot at uh, at any convention, uh, uh, much less a potential contested convention. Like the one we expect in July at this point, uh, I, I think, you know, I think we expect it. I don't know. Uh, Donald Trump still may get the uh, the required one thousand two hundred and thirty seven uh, for a majority, even with that majority of uh, of delegates. They could still change the rules. The rules are not yet approved for this year's convention. They do not get approved until just before all of this starts, all of the voting uh, to choose the nominee begins. If historical experience is any guide. So, yes, they should be set. The rules should be set prior. Well, but, no, no. hey, it hasn't really, this has never happened before anyway, well, as no, far as no. the way they're approaching this. Well, no, actually, it, every year what they do is they make these rules earlier. They make the proposed rules, the draft rules. But the rules themselves are not then approved 
until everyone gets to the convention, just at the beginning of the so convention. So it could change. Oh, yeah. Everything could change. Everything could change. They could say, we are changing the rules to require a supermajority of delegates to win the nomination on the first ballot. They can change that. Now, of course, I think there would be riots. I think there would also uh, uh, be riots, not only if uh, Trump at this point doesn't get the nominee, but uh, potentially, you know, the party is trying to uh, push everyone towards Ted Cruz. And then, you know, the reporting has been that they will then take it away from Ted Cruz, that the party doesn't want Ted Cruz to be the nominee either, that they then will find someone else. So they are now building up Ted Cruz only to take it away. And there is some thinking amongst the uh, party elite, it seems, that, oh, this would just be fine with the with the rank and file on the ground. What could possibly go wrong with that plan? And Ohio is an open carry state. (sighs) Yeah. So what could go wrong there? (laughs) Man. Uh, Okay. well, anyway, uh, more uh, presidential politics later. We'll try to take a blessed break from it uh, for a few minutes, at least today. Uh, But we will move momentarily to discrimination nation, which is kind of where we live at this point. We've been talking about this uh, discriminatory law. This uh, that was passed in in North Carolina and a number of other uh, now another number of other southern uh, southern states, Mississippi and so forth. And the backlash, the free market backlash that is now coming up against these uh, these Republican states like North Carolina, where they where they signed this uh, anti LGBT bill. Basically, uh, a few weeks ago, despite warnings from all kinds of people, all kinds of fronts, they saw what happened in Indiana when uh, Governor Mike Pence did something similar to this last year. Uh, But they signed it anyway because they just hates them, some gay people. And the backlash has been uh, has been loud and swift. Bruce Springsteen canceled a concert. PayPal had uh, planned to uh, add some 400 jobs in the state of uh, in the state of North Carolina. They they have put those plans on hold for the time being. And now we have, as of today, yet another bank, Deutsche Bank, announced on Tuesday that it would suspend its plans to add 250 jobs in its Cary, North Carolina office. Citing the state's sweeping law that overrode local measures protecting LGBT individuals from discrimination and limited employees' ability to sue over workplace discrimination. Now, that, by the way, that's an important point. The Republicans have been making this out to be a bathroom bill that requires you you may only use the bathroom that matches your birth certificate, not your own gender identity. So, by the way, if that means that uh, you are a a woman who has been living as a man for many, many years and and your co-workers don't even know that, um, you're at risk if you then go into the men's room as you have been doing for decades. Basically, this makes these people criminals uh, unless they're willing to show their, I guess, their uh, the papers, please, at the door to uh, identify who they are sexually, according to their birth certificate. Uh, Deutsche Bank uh, co-CEO John Cryan uh, issued a statement saying we take our commitment to building inclusive working environments seriously. We're proud of our operations and employees in Cary, North Carolina, and regret that as a result of this legislation, we are unwilling to include North Carolina in our U.S. expansion plans for now. So that's uh, some 250 jobs added to the 400 that PayPal said they would not uh, bring there. That's uh, at least 650 jobs 
that the jobs, jobs, jobs Republicans of North Carolina have now uh, have now lost. I was going to say put at risk, but they have now lost at this point, given this uh, stupid hate bill that, that they felt they must pass in in what had otherwise been really the most progressive state in the South, in North Carolina. Terrible, terrible what they have been doing to this uh, to this otherwise great state. Elections have consequences. They do indeed. The company currently employs 900 people in Cary, uh, and it was back in September of 2015 that they announced the plans to add the 250 jobs. According to the Charlotte Observer, those plans are now off or at least on hold. So uh, just as with Mike Pence in Indiana, the governor there who who passed the sim, who signed a similar law, and then he had to just days later, uh, hours later, I think, had to run back and say, OK, can we make a fix to that? Can we make a change? Uh, because uh, we're getting killed here, businesses aren't coming, and they're canceling plans to, you know, have conventions here and everything else. And in fact, Mike Pence was, you know, thought to be a, a presidential timber at the time. He would have been, well, I guess he would have been the 18th person to get into the presidential race last year. But uh, he was very much thought to, uh, you know, to be a very good uh, possibility. For the Republican nomination for president until all of that happened. But these Republicans never learned. They watched what happened with Pence. They said that's terrible. And then they did the same exact thing. And now Governor Pat McCrory uh, in North Carolina is paying a price. And so today he has issued an executive order attempting to clarify portions of his sweeping anti-gay law. He said, uh, along with this executive order, that uh, after listening to people's feedback for the past several weeks on this issue, I have come to the conclusion that there is a great deal of misinformation, misinterpretation, confusion, and a lot of passion, and frankly, selective outrage and hypocrisy, especially against the great state of North Carolina. Now, if he's talking to anyone like me, let me be clear. North Carolina is swell. It's the jerks that run it uh, right now for the Republican Party who are not so swell. He says, uh, Governor McCrory goes on to say, based upon this feedback, and he was, by the way, Des, wasn't he? It was like a, a, a CEO of the energy company. Was it Duke Energy Company? Yes, I don't know if he, CEO, was, but he was the CEO was the of CEO? Duke Energy. He worked there for 28 years. He left to go into public service, uh, be, you know, was a mayor, then now he's governor. And he his environmental agency, his appointees have mm-hmm. been instrumental in stripping North Carolina environmental protections for people who happen to be unfortunate fortunate enough to live next to coal fired power plants and facilities. So so there's that. His environmental yeah. record is a disaster. Uh, we have talked for a long time about uh, his voting uh, record as far as uh, his, his the election reform that they uh, the sweeping the most draconian election reform in all of the country that they passed in North Carolina just the photo hours, ID rules. The fo- well, the photo ID rules shortening uh, election uh, early voting hours uh same day election registration. It is the worst uh, voter suppression law in the country that uh, was signed by this McCrory. It's it's rather amazing. So environmentally, uh, election rights, LGBT rights. This guy is just an unbelievable disaster. In any case, uh, it's us who are being selectively outraged about it, apparently. Uh, So this uh, executive order leaves the law unchanged. 
but it expands the rights for state employees and uh, and it asks for a change from the legislature, a change to a provision in the law that is unrelated to LGBT rights. Under the executive order, McCrory expanded the state's employment policy for state employees to cover sexual orientation and gender identity. He also requested legislation to reinstate the right to sue in state court for discrimination. That's a a provision in the new law had eliminated the ability for private sector employees to sue over workplace discrimination under under state law. That was what was one of the things. In addition to the bathroom, that's what thing. That's what was really extraordinary about it. It yeah, that basically seems unconstitutional. did away with everyone's rights. Did away with uh, town's ability to uh, ban discrimination. These Republicans who claim to be against big government and in favor of small government, local government, they took away these rights from local government. Uh, in any event, the rest of McCrory's order affirms uh, the other aspects of his uh, sweeping legislation that was. Uh, rushed through the legislature late last month. Uh, Over at Think Progress, Zach Ford, who came on this program uh, a week or two ago to talk about this legislation, uh, he said that uh, McCrory's claims that his order would affirm and improve the state's committee to privacy and equality does no such thing. It basically underscores pretty much everything that's already in the law. So there's a long way to go uh, before, I, at least I hope, before North Carolina stops paying the price for their idiocy. But in case other states, uh, you know, southern states and so forth, uh, in case you thought they might learn a lesson from what's happening to McCrory, <laughs> you would be terribly wrong. In Tennessee right now, a bill awaits uh, the signature from that uh, that state's governor, Bill Haslam, Tennessee's mental health therapists and counselors could turn away gay patients because of their own, quote, sincerely held principles under the bill now uh, on its way to uh, Governor Bill Haslam in Tennessee. According to the Chattanooga Times Free Press, senators took final action earlier this week on the bill. Uh, that is opposed by the American Counseling Association that would make Tennessee the only state allowing therapists to refuse to treat patients out of hand if this is signed into law. Senator uh, Senators agreed to a House amendment that had changed the bill's original language uh, from sincerely held religious beliefs that you could deny clients, therapists, and so forth due to sincerely held religious beliefs That's the language that is used in most of these uh, bills now around the country. They change it to sincerely held principles. So you don't even have to have a religious basis. Nope, even less. Just your principles. I cannot treat a gay person. That's just a sincerely held principle of mine. Therefore, I'm going to discriminate against you. Was there some? I just find it hard to believe that there was some sort of pressing need for this they law. They had to do this. They there had were so to do many. This. These poor therapists were forced to treat people that they just didn't want to, and those people receiving the treatment, uh, you know, they they really needed these people who didn't want to treat them. They were insisting they treat them anyway. Senator Jeff Yarborough, a Democrat from Nashville, an attorney. Uh, said that the original bill was already giving Tennessee a black eye with that religious exemption. But he says that while the, quote, sincerely held religious belief language has at least been litigated in the courts uh, for some time, he says, as far as I know, quote, sincerely held principle is an unheard of legal concept. 
So uh, there is no litigation on what those principles are, Yarbrough argued. And this uh, this bill would allow someone who is racist to reject someone simply based on the color of their skin, warns Senator Yarbrough. Uh, a warning which will not be heeded by any of the uh, uh, Republicans who don't ever, ever seem to learn anything. So they're certainly not going to learn anything from our next segment, but I hope you will. So stand by uh, for some world-changing stuff, maybe. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your World-Changing Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com trying to clear my head. We'll see how well this works. Trying to clear my head of of politics, if if only for a moment, even though this all plays into the same politics, uh, I'm afraid. Uh, Former PayPal creator and visionary entrepreneur, Elon Musk's commercial space vehicle enterprise uh, known as SpaceX sent a reusable rocket into space a few days ago and incredibly brought it back down to Earth in one piece and landed it standing up, upright, mind you, on a tiny bobbing drone ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. You may have seen the footage of this remarkable feat by now. It, Frankly, it really was an incredible moment. Well, that was the sort of the capper of a very, very good week for Elon Musk. Just days earlier, customers or hopeful customers, at least hundreds of thousands of them lined up at Tesla outlets around the globe. Tesla is Musk's all electric car startup company. Those customers were lining up overnight in many cases to put down $1,000 to reserve the Tesla Model 3, the company's newest electric car, which in fact does not even actually exist yet. Those customers, some of them uh, camping out, like I said, overnight, were waiting for the, it was like they were waiting for the next Star Wars movie, or perhaps more apropos here, the latest iPhone model. They hadn't even seen what the card looked like. 
uh, when they were lining up. And a day later, Musk finally unveiled a prototype at a media event out here at Tesla headquarters in Hawthorne, California, not far from where we are in Los Angeles. Although, Desi Doyen, I should note that once again, Elon Musk forgot to invite us to the event. Yeah, he keeps just doing saying, that. Just saying. Uh, the crowds and the uh, the customers uh, at this event, of course, went wild. Musk uh, has to date received $1,000 reservations to buy from more than 300,000 customers for his uh, $35,000 all-electric battery-powered car that promises to offer drivers more than 200 miles on a single electric charge when it eventually comes to market, in theory, at some point in 2017, at the very earliest at this point. Writing at Quartz about all of this, Steve Levine suggests that what we are now witnessing is Elon Musk's slow-motion disruption of the global auto industry. If so, if Levine is right, I might suggest this, this disruption comes not a moment too soon, frankly, and, and for the moment... It remains still a bit too slow motion for my tastes and potentially for the globe, whose climate, scientists will tell you, now uh, now stands precari precariously on the brink of man-made disaster due to the continued and unprecedented burning of fossil fuels in no small part by our automobile fleet around the world. Uh, the burning of fossil fuels into our fragile atmosphere. Joining us now to discuss all of this and what I hope really is the moment before everything, and I do mean everything changes, is Steve Levine. He's the Washington correspondent for Quartz, where he writes about the intersection of energy, technology, and geopolitics. He's a Future Tense fellow at the New America Foundation and an adjunct professor in the Security Studies program at Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service. That kind of sounds like CIA, Steve. I'm just saying where he teaches energy security. His newest book, The Powerhouse, Inside the Invention of a Battery to Save the World, focuses on advances in battery technology and the connection between the transformation of energy and shifts in geopolitical power. Hey, Steve Levine, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad, I think we should just stop right here. I don't see how we can go anywhere but downhill after that buildup. <laughs> well, you're just saying that to distract us all from my CIA comment, aren't you, Steve? <laughs> I know, I know. Could be, could be. I know what you people are right. like. All right, you, you write in your uh, in your piece at Quartz uh, about this entire uh, this this Tesla Model Three business that you said that we are now witnessing Elon Musk's slow motion disruption of the global auto industry, and you refer to Nokia. Uh, the phone company, which uh, I, I hope people still remember, which was so incredibly successful uh, just a few short years back. The, the industry at the time felt that there was little chance to, for anybody to even compete with their uh, worldwide global domination until suddenly with Nokia. Uh, it seemed like almost literally overnight in a single day that all came to an end. Give us a reminder of what happened with Nokia, even though it really wasn't that long ago it seems like forever ago steve it it's yeah, it seems like another another age yeah and i just want to yeah i just want to as a caveat point out that you i don't have to tell you that that the that that the headline writer mm -hmm. on my story declared this the iphone moment the piece actually uh states that it it could be and and mm -hmm. and goes through and it 
and explains how, but but puts the onus on Musk mm-hmm. to come through. The 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 framing of this though is the Nokia. What what happened to Nokia with the iPhone? You know, Nokia was Apple. Mm-hmm. It it by far dominated the the global fashionable phone. Everyone wanted to own one. It was almost exactly the same thing. Way overpriced. Uh, something you know that that you wanted to not only hold in your hand when you went everywhere, but put on the table and and look at it all the time, and, and was completely wrong-footed in 2007, did, did not think, ha, had looked at, but decided that smartphones were, were not where the world was going, and, and, and seven years later sold its, its whole phone division yes. to Microsoft. It had been worth, worth at its apex, the company, a quarter of a trillion dollars it sold itself that that whole phone division to mm-hmm. Microsoft for seven billion dollars in in 2014, uh, which was like not even ten years. It, that value dropped. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, just amazing how quickly that industry completely changed, uh, and forever. I mean, I can't imagine anybody, uh, you know, going back from a smartphone to the old, uh, you know, Nokia flip phones at this point. And we'll talk about that in relation to cars in a second. But if folks like yourself who, who watch this sort of thing. Uh, are suggesting that this car from Elon Musk, and this is not a car show, uh, this is really, you know, about a much bigger idea, but uh, as you suggest that this car, uh, this Model 3, could be a category killer. What does that mean exactly? What's a category killer? It, it, well, it is, it, it, it's the killing of Nokia. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's not only that Nokia's phone couldn't can't be revived mm-hmm. but Nokia could could not recover mm-hmm. after it 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 was knocked for a loop by Apple it tried it had you know an, an incredible staff it tried again and again to get to get into the game with um, you know a bunch of different products mm-hmm. it, it it had a residual brand name from the years of of uh, you know from the many years of mm-hmm. being uh, a uh, a real style setter, uh, but it, it just couldn't get up on its on its feet. And here, Elon Musk last week comes out with the Model Three, and uh, and 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 the cars before this, the mainstream price cars like the Nissan Leaf, the 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 uh, G, the, the plug-in GM Volt, mm-hmm. the, these cars sold. In the few tens of thousands, and who are they selling to? They're selling to people in the uh, who uh, in in the green market. People who want to feel good about about being environmental to make a, a statement. But the cars, they kind of look they they they're uh, they're kind of maudlin. I mean, I don't want to. I'm going to put it this way: they they look like something your grandmother would drive. <laughs> Not I have nothing against your grandmother, but right. it's that kind of. That kind of thing, and and he demonstrated with this, with his image uh-huh. first, get, getting people lined around the block and 115,000 orders sight unseen, and then once people saw the car, another 200,000 orders for that car. Yeah, he's he 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 demonstrated that that um, there is a very sizable gr- uh, group of people in the world who who are pre- uh, prepared to pay $35,000 for an electric car. This was notice to the whole industry, and Category Killer 
it 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 suggests that the that the incumbent car companies uh-huh. who themselves un, even now are sitting at, sitting on the sidelines waiting to see whether Musk can pull this off that they could end up like Nokia. Yeah, no, it, that's really what it seems like. And you quote, uh, you know, from some of those uh, uh, folks, some of those other companies who are saying, well, you know, this is nice. We're happy to see new competitors, but we're still, you know, focused on our, our brand, our line, what we're doing now. Uh, they can't really be telling the truth. When you look at this, okay, some, I think you, you, you've got it in your story just a few days ago at some 325,000 pre-orders for a car that doesn't even actually exist yet, uh, that's unprecedented. That's got to, well, actually, is that unprecedented? It's got to be freaking them out, it seems to me. Have we ever seen anything like that, anything comparable in the auto industry, Steve? No. If that's, if that, that's simple enough. Yeah. There was a car, a Daimler, in 1955 <laughs> that, that is an outstanding-looking car. I've got, I've got a photo on it on the, on the uh, story that yeah. did get on its launch... 12,000 12, orders. Uh-huh. That, that's, that's uh, you know, uh, six uh, decades ago. Right. And so there is one, uh, but, but no, there isn't one. And the, uh, the other car makers are saying, look, look we, we're in the game, too. We're, uh, we're, we're looking at electrics. We're ready to move as soon as the market demonstrates itself. Excuse me, hello. 325,000 orders this is the market demonstrating itself get get into the market show what what you can do don't be killed in the market there there's going to be blood on the on the floor yeah. and um uh the, the 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 impression one gets you know maybe they are fake maybe this is a head fake but from from what i could tell just from speaking i spoke to about 8 of them was that they are they're 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 standing by to to see what happens next well so you watch this you wrote uh, literally the book on the you know the invention of a battery to save the world uh you know the continuing quest for these long range batteries uh and before we get into some of that is this as you see it is this an iphone moment uh or is it still too early to tell we got to see how it comes out when it rolls out uh what just what what is your opinion is that what we're finally seeing when the moment when everything changes and nobody will look back at buying an internal combustion uh car yeah okay here's the way i see it it is elon musk's game to lose now he he has gone from can he um, launch? Can he show us a thirty-five thousand dollar car mm-hmm. that we'll want to buy? This has been the real question. The last time we spoke, that was what we. Uh, that was the core of the mm-hmm. whole conversation. Was was uh, you know are we going to have a tipping point? Mm-hmm. Are are we going to have a car? Will people buy them? What we found out last week is that the answer is yes. And so, and, and, and now Musk has to pivot. He has to pivot from, okay, I'm cool, to the mundane uh, act. He needs to make the cars. So he needs to execute. And, and the cars have to, uh, have, have to be rolling off of the assembly line in mm-hmm. much larger. He only made 50,000 cars all of last year, so he has to up that game a lot. He has to become 
a lot more reliable than he's been. His S, his uh-huh. Model X, have been replete with with, uh, with with flaws. Customers have complained about shaking and rattling in the in the cars. He has fixed those, but still, you've got to be uh, you know for the for mainstream owners, they they have a, a lot less patience than the folks who buy expensive cars. So he he needs to. Um, I don't believe he's, he says he's going to deliver these cars next year. Maybe he'll deliver one. I, th- I think you know the the uh, the big bulk of cars will not be here until about, in, in my view, until 2019 or so. But that's okay. Uh, so he has three years to to do this. He's going to have to go to the markets, raise a lot of money in order to do it. So just just you know to crystallize that thought, yeah. the ball is in his court. The game is his to win or or but lose now. But but why is it, uh, Steve? Uh, I mean, obviously, Tesla is not the only one uh, able to make these kind of cars. Uh, you note in your in your piece that GM's Chevy Bolt, for example, also priced at, at about thirty five thousand dollars, with a range uh, also exceeding two hundred miles on a single charge. That's going to be in showrooms by the end of this year. And uh, according to uh, GM, anyway, Tesla won't uh, customers won't get their hands on a Model Three until 2017 at the earliest, maybe not till 2019. So why the excitement pre-orders for a Tesla, but not the Chevy Bolt, not the Volt, but the Bolt, their new car? Uh, does this have something to do with the fact that Chevy doesn't? Uh, land rockets on drone barges in in the ocean, as I mentioned in my uh, opening there. Yeah, it's the difference between the Apple and and everything else. You know, he he has this star appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an intangible thing. If you watched that that presentation, mm-hmm. it's 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 incredible the the response that he gets. I don't I myself don't get it. He's just a dude walking out wearing black, but <laughs> yes. but he has this impact on on crowds and his. Products, right? You know the 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 things he does the his, uh, ha- has that impact, and I I agree with you. So it's not only them. I mean, Audi and Porsche. These are these are good cars. They 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 have pizzazz. Jaguar, Volvo, all of these. They, uh, they're all producing uh, electric cars. I'd like to see over the next. All of them are saying they are going to launch. Uh, over the next four or five years, so mm-hmm. so by 2019 or so, no, uh, so that's actually three years now. Right. Uh, over the next three years, their own mainstream vehicles. I'd like to see how they are going to pivot to capture some of some of that bask and some of that star power. Uh, you know, I think uh, Steve Levine. I, I think I think we are witnessing uh, at least the very early moments of that iPhone moment, and I think when it finally does come, it's going to be really fast. It's going to be as fast as uh, as the iPhone moment when just everything changed. Literally, seemed like literally overnight. Uh, is there any science uh, that that you know of? You know, I I. We we purchased a, a a used Prius a few years ago, and and since then, I can't even stand the idea of driving a fully internal combustion uh, uh, engine vehicle anymore. I hate it, even when the gas engine kicks in on the on the hybrid Prius. So, is there any science 
to my completely conjectured notion here that uh, that once people either uh, drive or own a hybrid or an electric vehicle, that they are hard pressed to go back to any other vehicle. I mean, I'm wondering how much that will have to do with the inflection point when people finally get in one of these vehicles and they go, oh, I'm sitting in a corner, I'm waiting in traffic and my car is not going, you know, uh, spending money on gas. Uh, is there any science to, to, to back up my thinking on that to your knowledge, Steve? Well, I don't think so. I mean, I, I do think you're right. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's driven in, in an electric car um, can you know immediately see and feel the difference, and it, it's not only that, but the but the folks who are making these cars mm-hmm. are making an extra effort to to, uh, to to improve to provide a great experience. They're they're generally you know very clean lines. The interior is is immaculate and, and uh, you know very nice screen, uh, and and uh, I mean the whole thing is mm-hmm. is great. Um, but also there, uh, there's there, there's the dynamic of the hysteria of crowds. People want to get carried away. They want to be part of of something big and loud and and raucous and 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 wonderful. And uh, it's it, it's it's not a linear thing, and 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 it, it's it's not entirely rational. And 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 so I if I mean if you ask me to guess, I would say what you just laid out mm-hmm. is accurate that that we are at this inflection point we are at this tipping point people are getting carried away we can see it that the 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 crowds Mm -hmm. last week that was one of those moments the the hysteria of a crowd a frenzy and 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 so um it you know this is the front end of it um again musk could could blow it by not executing but he knows that. That's the thing. Is there's no no one ha- he he's not going to be surprised. He knows he has to spend the next three years building an, uh, a, a manufacturing uh, process, and 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 it really has to work. And and given his record, I mean, we've watched him over the last decade. I think he's going to deliver. Well, he well, I I well, we will see. I mean, you're right. He has to sort of build the entire process from scratch. Whereas, you know, GM, they've got factories, they've got plants, they've got workers. You know, they can turn around and and uh, you know up production of uh, the Volt or the Bolt, you know, on a dime. Whereas this guy has to sort of start from scratch. Well, that's, that's uh, you had a question, Des. Yeah. yeah, this is my question about that. You know, how how quickly do you know how quickly Steve, uh, a, a big automaker who is not Elon Musk, can switch over? I mean, what it takes to you know do the res- the research, the design, the the retooling of the factories. Is this something that can happen quickly for for manufacturers? who are not Elon Musk? Well, so the car makers them, themselves are pouring cold water over all this and, and, and um, d- describing how ha- hard it is for them to start from a, from a standing motion and, and, and uh, uh, get to a sprint. Um, and so, uh, and, and suge- suggesting casting doubt on, on his ability to, to do it. But... Uh, at, and and adding that that um, manufacturing a car is much harder than than making almost anything else because of how many different parts are in it and mm-hmm. how cars have to really operate perfectly. Um, and uh, yeah, but and so, so he, he, 
so do iPhones. So so do iPhones, uh, uh, smartphones, Steve. And you know, in no time at all, every company in the world seemed to be able to crank out literally billions of those. Uh, you know, seemingly overnight. I mean, if, if there is money to be made. It seems like, uh, you know, these, especially these huge companies can change overnight and make this happen no matter what they say, no matter what kind of cold water they are pouring on this. Yeah. So if he's smart, I mean, who are, who are right now the manufacturing experts of the world? It's, it's the Koreans. It's the Japanese. Go to Korea, go to, uh, go to J- Japan and bring, bring back here manufacturing experts. Uh, mm-hmm. get you know he he needs to hire people who can do it well i want to get very quickly to your book uh here steve because we didn't get to talk about it last time uh quite enough but you literally well since you write the book on this uh in the invention of long-range batteries and you followed uh, uh the the effort to get to this uh battery to save the world as your book's title describes it what is that the holdup in the in the in the transition, or has it been the holdup to electric cars? The so-called range anxiety: how many miles per charge, uh, if that is a factor, will be enough, uh, you know, for folks to lose that anxiety? If so, how many miles uh, per charge is enough, or will it require replaceable batteries so you can fill up anywhere uh, in the world, you know, by just swapping out the battery like we do? Uh, right now at gas stations and so forth. Is that or has that been uh, the holdup? And if 200 miles uh, per charge is not enough, how much will be enough uh, for at least the American consumer? The the car makers, so both both Tesla and GM, mm-hmm. did pretty ex- ex- extensive population surveys and, and came to pr- pretty identical conclusions and that's that 70 percent of the population loses the range anxiety the fear of getting stranded someplace at 200 miles and this is why this is the the magic number both of them have um have uh um decided this is the the number and and again we see from the um the number of orders last week for the Model 3 that, that the market seems to agree. Musk says that he's actually going to, to deliver 215 miles with, with the Model 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, G, GM says it'll, it'll also be over two, 200. Some people are never going to be satisfied unless their car can go 500 or 600 miles on a charge. That's never going to happen. Um, so I, I do think 200... A little over 200 miles is probably good. There need to be much more um, ubiquitous, char- uh, fast charging stations, mm-hmm. and, and they need to get faster charging. You need to be able to get in there and in, say, 15 or 20 minutes, recharge much of your battery, say, you know, uh, uh, 150 miles of, mm-hmm. your, of your battery. People aren't going to wait around much longer th- than that. But he's doing that. Musk is 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 doing that with his batteries, and he ha- has made. He's not describing exactly, and the battery makers are very tight-lipped as, as to exactly what they ha- have. But the stuff that I've read, a- analysts who somehow have 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 gotten an, an inside scoop say that Panasonic is is his battery maker ha- did make some significant advances with the battery chemistry 
with the battery management for the Model 3, and this is how he's getting this 215 miles per charge and why he's able to sell the car for $35,000. You focus uh, in your book, Steve Levine, on uh, the, the battery, the invention of the battery to save the world, the powerhouse is the name of the book, Foc- on, on battery technology and the co- connection between the transformation of energy and shifts in geopolitical power. Well, we learned over the past week here that Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, is preparing for a world beyond oil at this point, it seems. Uh, Really? What does that mean? And uh, (laughs) in 30 seconds, Steve, uh, how how will all of this uh, shake up and change the international global power structure when we finally uh, do away with oil entirely? How is that going to change the power structure that the modern world has really been based on over the last 100 years? Is everything over? Is everything out the window? Do we does, you know, literally, uh, you know, global government governance and everything else change with this move away from oil? The first thing to know is, is that this is something that's going to shake out the, the transition away from oil over several decades. So when Saudi Arabia says it's preparing for this, it means by 2050 or 2050, the second half of the century. But but it does mean a momentous geopolitical shift where the middle places like the middle east and and russia for example lose the basis of, uh, of their whole influence their 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 whole um economic and power structure gets pulled out right from under them and uh you, you know oil has made the world go uh go go around now literally for 150 years we don't know where this is what we'll watch who is going to take their place in 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 power structure how is influence going to be conveyed and delivered in this new world um it's going to be fascinating to watch but but Hang on to your hats. It's going to be a lot different from what we see today. Yeah, I think I think it is, and I think that countries, whether it's the U.S., whether it's Russia, whether it's Saudi Arabia, who who ignore this uh, this coming change, uh, do so at their own peril, and frankly, risk becoming the Nokia of countries, perhaps. Uh, Steve Levine. Uh, author of The Powerhouse, Inside the Invention of a Battery to Save the World, uh, Washington correspondent for Quartz. You can check out his work at QZ.com. And you should follow him on the on the Twitters, where he can get snarky from time to time. You can find him there at simply Steve Levine. Always great talking to you, Steve. Hope to do it again soon in the future. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Desi. You bet. All right, a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Uh, that's not really a pro-woman song, is it? Uh, stay uh, away from me? 
Well, I think it, yeah, actually, okay. I think it is, is kind it? of pro-American right. woman because Lenny Kravitz is basically saying, right. you're too much for me. All right, there you I go. can't handle you. Well, at least we didn't play I Am Woman, Hear, hear Me Roar. So there's that. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. President Barack Obama designated the Sewell Belmont House as a national monument in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. The House has served as the headquarters for the National Women's Party since 1929. The new monument will be called the Belmont Paul Women's Equality National Monument, named after Alva Belmont and Alice Paul, two leaders in the women's suffrage movement. The designation coincides with Equal Pay Day, the day that's today, the day that marks how far into the new year women would have to work in order to earn the same as men did in the previous year. So in other words, uh, Desi Doyen, you had to work all last year, just like I did, but you had to work up until today in order to make as much as I did. Yes, of right? course, this is on average. Uh, uh, who said you could? Uh, who, <laughs> who said you could talk? Sorry. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Mr. Friedman. Thank you. All right. Uh, the, uh, the designation. Uh, oh, coincides with Equal Pay Day. I said that. Uh, Obama uh, said that when uh, when kids come to the uh, come to this new museum, he wants them to be quote astonished that there was a time when women didn't vote or when they didn't earn as much as men. Designation doubles, doubles the total number of U.S. monuments specifically commemorating women's history. There are now two. Woo! Here was Barack Obama uh, at the dedication today. It should be noted that today is equal pay day. Which means a woman has to work about this far into 2016 just to earn what a man earned in 2015. You know, equal pay for equal work should be a fundamental principle of our economy. It's the idea that whether you're a high school teacher, a business executive, or a professional soccer player, or tennis player, your work should be equally valued and rewarded whether you are a man or a woman. It's a simple ideal. It's a simple principle. But it's one where we still fall short. Today, the typical woman who works full-time earns 79 cents for every dollar that a typical man makes. And the gap is even wider for women of color. The typical black woman makes only 60 cents. A Latino woman, 55 cents for every dollar that a white man earns. Now, if we truly value fairness, then America should be a level playing field where everyone who works hard gets a chance to succeed. And that's good for America. Uh, I'm not here just to say we should close the wage gap. I'm here to say we will close the wage gap. And if you don't believe me, I don't believe you. if you don't believe that we're going to close that wage gap, you need to come visit this house. Because this house has a story to tell. Well, we'll see if we can get that uh, that gap closed. We'll see if uh, having a woman president as very well could happen this year, if that helps. Will she be paid the same amount as Barack Obama? Uh, to your knowledge? I believe that that's said in statutory that law, already, so I okay, don't good. think they can mess with that Okay, one. that, that Yet, part's that part's good. You never know with this Congress. Uh, no, you don't. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, Desi Doan, you were telling me the other day that Barack Obama has 
set aside. Now, this is a national monument, and so I, I'm sure the uh, Republicans won't be uh, screaming that this is another executive outrage. That a land grab. St- a land a house grab. <laughs> but um, you, you were saying that he has uh, declared more federal lands than any other president? Is yes, that, Do yes. I remember that right? He has designated for special protections more public lands than any other president before him. He is, he's done the most national monuments, so he is the most na- uh, monumental president, if you could put it that way. <laughs> right. But yeah, and, and, and there was a recent study that was put out that said that designating an area a national monument actually is a huge economic boost to the area around it. You know, they're usually in rural areas and it brings in a lot of tourism, a lot of recreation dollars. So when Republicans fight against it, they're essentially fighting against jobs. I can't believe that Republicans would fight against jobs. <laughs> I don't know where you could possibly get that idea. Uh, and of course, that goes against the uh, the hue and the cry from the uh, from the folks out west up in Oregon and that whole uh, episode that uh, occupation of the uh, wildlife the Malier, ref- yeah. yeah wildlife refuge which uh, those Bundy boys by the way and their dad still in jail by the way oh yeah so sad how they've lost their freedom. Uh, anyway, uh, my thanks, uh, thank you, Desi, our producer Desi Doyen. My thanks to our booking goddess Cynthia Cohn. And to QZ.com's Steve Levine for another fascinating conversation about changing the world, or at least I hope we will. My thanks also to you, our listeners, for spending a portion of your day or night with us. That is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download them all for free, every single one of them at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where we hope you will subscribe for free and it'll just be delivered right to your uh, to your iPhone or your non-iPhone uh, If you're a- still Android on a Nokia. Phone, <laughs> right, on a Nokia. Uh, or, or to your electric car, to your uh, Tesla. It'll just come right on in. Uh, anyway, uh, while you're over there at iTunes, please uh, give us a good review. Give us five stars if you don't mind and, and feel free to say a few nice words. All of that makes it a little bit easier for everyone else to find us. Uh, okay, is that it? Oh, you can reach me if you'd like to email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And I am on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Bradblog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,